Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you're while listening to Phyllis Faber. Yeah. Take a minute, turn the radio up. Yeah. Take a seat in the pastor's office. Right. Find the frequency, yeah. tune in. Get a word with Reverend Jonathan Mason. Oh, yes, you should. Take a minute, turn the radio up. And take a seat. Hey, Philly's favorite listeners, welcome back to the pastor's office this Sunday afternoon. Uh, can, I, can I tell you something before we get started? It, it felt real good to feel cold earlier this week. Uh, you know, I, I often talk to people about what, what winter was like when I was younger. Uh, when we would go to school in three feet of snow, and and uh, when we'd have recess, even though there was snow on the ground, uh, things have certainly changed uh, now that uh, I'm, I'm almost a senior citizen, almost about to get a letter from AARP, uh, but it felt good to feel cold earlier this week. I do believe that we need to understand that global warming is real. We've had several shows about it, uh, and we need to take care of our environment. We only get one. We only get one, but but I can't say it more, uh, and I can't say enough how excited I was to, to allow my my kids to play in the snow this week, uh, to allow my new Great Dane puppy to run around in the snow. Snow is good. It's okay. The changing of the seasons are okay. Uh, but anyway, listen, welcome back to another edition of the Pastor's Office. We just left service downstairs. Uh, we had a very spirited time in the Lord, uh, and we're excited to be here with you this afternoon. We've got a great show for you. Uh, uh, we have a, a guest that's coming into the Pastor's Office for the first time. Uh, she is the representative for Pennsylvania's 5th Congressional District, uh, and that's U.S. Congresswoman Mary Gay Scanlon. Now, we're going to talk to her uh, about something that happened to her in South Philadelphia just a few weeks ago, uh, but I do want to start off by just welcoming her in. So let's do that now. Uh, Congresswoman Mary Gay Scanlon, welcome into the pastor's office. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be able to join you today. Well, we thank you for being here with our Philly's favor audience. We know you have a very busy schedule, and we don't take lightly uh, that you've given us some time. Uh, being that this is the first time that you're here with us in the pastor's office, when we when we have our elected representatives on, we, we certainly want to touch on uh, the current events of the day. And this past week on Tuesday, President Biden delivered a speech in Atlanta regarding voting rights. Uh, now, I know that the House has done its job, uh, and the House has passed bills on to the Senate for approval, but I did want to get your thoughts, one, on his speech, uh, and then two, on whether we think we can get through this quagmire uh, of partisan politics in Washington and really get something passed it on his desk. Sure. Well, well thank you, and, and that's a, a great question, um, all parts of it. I mean, I think the president's speech was really important. I think at a certain point in the speech he said, you know, I've been having quiet conversations, but I'm 
done with having quiet conversations. Um, there has been a very coordinated push to get voting rights legislation um, to his desk, and it's been ongoing now uh, as long, actually, you know, it started before I got elected in 2018, but obviously the urgency has has ramped up as we've seen the real efforts to undermine voting rights, you know, just ramping up across the country, and nowhere does that happen more than Pennsylvania. Um, it's one of the reasons I ran. I've been involved in election protection work and voting rights work for a couple decades, and, um, you know, we can't get anything else done if people's voices can't be heard. So I think the president said, you know, look, the gloves are coming off. We need to force this through, and that's that's what we're working on here this week. Um, right now, the, the White House and the House and Senate leadership are working together to try to get something to the floor this week. I'm on the Rules Committee, and before something can come to the House floor for a vote, it has to go through the Rules Committee. So we've been on hold for the last... Oh, close to 24 hours waiting for it, the, the deal to gel um, so that we can take action to get whatever is going to go forward there. But, um, you know, it's it's been work from unions. It's been work from folks on the ground. It's been work from folks in office. And we can't let up. Um, and we particularly can't let up when it comes to turnout in the next couple of elections because there has been damage done to our system. And there are these forces that are trying to keep people from voting or keep from counting their votes. So we need people to keep turning out and paying attention and, and really expressing what they want to see happen in this country. So, you know, one of the things that, that I was looking at uh, earlier this week uh, were the number of state legislatures, Republican-dominated state legislatures, uh, that have enacted uh, reforms that, that, really are, that really suppress the vote of all people. It astounds me that people like Lindsey Graham, who are on record when Bush was in office and they redid the Voting Rights Act, who are on record talking about the importance of voting rights uh, for all people, are now on the other side. Uh, is this just uh, people trying to curry favor uh, with the Trump Republicans? I mean, what, what, do, what do you see is, as the reason why people who have always been supportive of voting rights are now standing against uh, us being able to move forward and get some positive legislation passed? Right. Well, I, you mentioned Lindsey Graham. I think the figure is that there are 16 members of the Senate right now who voted for the Voting Rights Act when it was last um, reauthorized in 2006-2007. 16 Republicans, I'm sorry, who voted for it then and are saying they won't now. Um, it, it does appear to be the fact that the Republican Party today has become a cult of personality. I mean, these are not the Republicans that I grew up with in upstate New York. It's not the Republicans that were in the uh, Philadelphia suburbs for so many years. It is a cult of personality, and whatever the former president says, whatever lines in the sand he draws, folks have to line up on his side or else he attacks them. So that does appear to the ma be the major dynamic that we're dealing with. And, you know, there's a few folks, um, Liz Cheney <laughs> among them, God who are no... I don't, whoever would have thought, um, yeah, who are, are standing up and saying, no, this is not about policy, this is not about principle, this is about power, and that is not good for our democracy. You know, but one thing I, I, I will say is that if we can't get the filibuster 
uh, changed in the Senate, we're, we're never going to get this legislation passed because there, there aren't any Republicans willing to stand up. I mean, do you think we're going to be able to get Manchin and Cinema to, to come to the table and realize that this reform needs to, to happen? Well, that's been the push, and I think that's why the president was trying to do this quietly, to get them on board, because once he comes out and says, as he has now, that the filibuster has to change, then the lines are drawn. I think he was trying to see if there was room to get it through as a compromise, and it turns out there wasn't. Um, Senator Manchin has been given all the room he needs to try to put something together. The Freedom to Vote Act is his bill, and he thought that he could get 10 Republicans to step up and help him pass it. That apparently is not true, so now it's become, you know, is is he going to step up for democracy? Is he going to do what's necessary to get the voting rights legislation passed to preserve the country? Um, it is really in his lap. Now, he has not ruled out doing anything to the filibuster. Um, you know, there's 160-some-odd exceptions to it already, um, and there does appear to be active negotiations still going on with respect to what what would he and cinema and anyone else, I mean, they're not the only ones who have objections, we hear, um, but are there adjustments that at least would get this through? Um, and this being so critical to, you know, allow democracy to function. Um, so I think that's one thing to watch. Um, well, yeah, we are we are certainly it. praying, uh, but we're not just praying. We're writing letters. I always tell my audience that we need to touch base with our elected officials mm-hmm. and let them know how we feel. Uh, but most importantly, we need to register people to vote, and we need to activate registered voters uh, to get to the polls, because I really do believe that's the only thing that's going to make uh, the change we need in order to get the, uh, the movement we want in Washington, D.C. I know that's not what you came on to talk about, but I do know your background, and I, I definitely wanted to address that topic, but but I was sharing with our listeners uh, last week uh, that uh, there has been an 80% increase uh, from 2021 to 2020 uh, in carjackings uh, in the state of Pennsylvania. And unfortunately, uh, you were the victim of a carjacking in South Philadelphia in 2021, uh, and I wanted to talk to you about that. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the experience? Sure. Um, this was three days before Christmas. I was in FDR Park on a sunny, you know, Wednesday afternoon. Um, I was there meeting with constituents and other elected officials about this proposed renovation to FDR Park and what it means for open space and um, you know, the environment and, and whatever. So we did a hike through the park, and when we came back to the parking lot, um, one of my staff members and I were standing next to my car talking when uh, three teenagers pulled up in a car and two of them got out with guns and asked, told me to turn over the keys, which I did. Um, so they uh, took my car, and my purse was in the car, and they took off. I mean, mercifully, it was a very short encounter, and nobody was physically hurt, and nobody around us was. I mean, that was, there were there were families with kids and, and dogs, and, you know, it was not an isolated area. It was not dark, you know, so upending a lot of assumptions about where these things happen. I mean, we're in a situation now where carjackings are happening everywhere, and not just in Philadelphia. So, 
you know, I've done a little research on it since then. I knew that carjacking was on the rise, but was really, really stunned to find that it is teenagers that are fueling this. So as a result of this incident, the two things that have been kind of top of mind for me are, uh, number one, the, the gun issue. I mean, I've been working on gun violence prevention issues since 2000 um, in various ways, um, and certainly sponsoring legislation to close background uh, check loopholes, et cetera, um, trying to stem the flood of guns to our streets. Um, I mean, these were 15, 17, 19-year-olds. What are they doing with guns? Um, And then the second thing is, what is happening that our young people think this is a good idea? And, you know, from being in the community, you know, my fear is that it's it's folks who've just been so traumatized by any number of forces, trauma, community violence, um, the pandemic, that I hear too many kids saying, I don't think I'm going to live to be 20. And you make different choices when you don't think you're going to live to make be 20. So there's so much we need to do on so many different fronts. So that's kind of been my focus coming out of this. Yeah, there's nothing like going through that experience to to make us acutely aware uh, of the pain that's out there uh, and the hurt that's out there because these people perpetrating these crimes and and, and uh, are people who are absolutely hurting. Uh, they're missing something. Uh, we talk about this issue on the show all the time. We've had everybody from the mayor to the police commissioner to, to other members of Congress, state legislature, uh, city council members talking about this issue. And when I saw your story, I had to try to bring you on to, to, to just get your thoughts on this. So now as a legislator, later uh, in Congress, uh, has this now caused you to want to look at other legislation or present uh, new legislation to try to deal with this issue? Well, I think that's the question is what can we do moving forward? I mean, the work that I've always done has been around how do we help people move out of poverty? How do we get guns off the street? So it has increased my level of frustration that we can't get more of these bills moving, that we can't get the child tax credit made permanent, that, you know, that we can't get the housing that we need. You know, all these things go into um, the gun violence equation. I think there's a really good um, op-ed in the Inquirer today about how gun violence prevention has to take into account all these social impacts. Um, But you know, I meet with our law enforcement folks throughout the region, federal, state, and local, and they all talk about this absolute flood of guns to the streets and what can we do to, to stop that. So in many ways, this caused me to double down on, on the things that I was already trying to do. Um, I certainly got some really unhelpful questions from um, right-wing media saying, well, Will you stop trying to defund the police now, which I've never tried to defund the police. Um, One of the things that I have tried to do, I have a bill, the Mental Health Justice Act, that would provide extra funding for 911 call centers so that when there's a call having to do with a mental health issue, that we have the resources to send mental health professionals instead of police out to an emergency situation. I mean, we've got this problem where so many of society's problems have been dumped on our schools and dumped on law enforcement when they don't belong there. We need resources in other places to to help, you know, prevent this kind of violence and trauma in our communities. So I am very open to suggestions on 
what could prevent this kind of thing going forward, both for the perpetrators and those who find themselves, you know, in, in, as victims. Um, but, but I do think, you know, there is a lot of good legislation out there, but we need the support and the votes to get it across. Going right back to what we spoke about earlier, that we've got to be engaged at the polls uh, mm-hmm. to get the right people in office to make sure that uh, the legislation necessary to help in these areas gets passed. Uh, because right now there's great legislation in the state of Pennsylvania uh, that's that's in a logjam because the Republican-led uh, Senate will not pass it to, to help us deal with this gun violence issue. Same thing in the United States Senate. Um, here's my question to you, though. One of the things that we talk about quite often, and and we did see that these were teenagers, as you said, uh, that that did the carjacking. As a matter of fact, I think it were four or five of them that were trying to get in your car when the police found them uh, at the Christiana Mall. Teenagers, young people, Mm -hmm. uh, whose lives now, uh, uh, their futures are impacted by what they've done. Uh, One of the things that we've talked about with a lot of legislatures is getting money into the communities, into these impoverished communities, to grassroots organizations, uh, to promote mentorship, uh, to to give children activities that they can engage in uh, after school and on the weekends, uh, as opposed to being out on these street corners and getting involved in the wrong behaviors and with the wrong people. Uh, uh, Do you foresee, as we go forward, and, and by the way, some great Great legislation was passed and money was delivered to Pennsylvania and to Philadelphia uh, for grassroots organizations last year. But do you see forthcoming in this new budget uh, dollars being appropriated to really get at the grassroots level to impact these young people and these potential criminals, these potential gun violence perpetrators right where they live and where they are? Reverend Mason, you are preaching to the choir. (laughs) Um, I've been involved in youth mentoring for a really long time. Um, my entire family has. My, my son and daughter, or my son, my husband and daughter both work with youth-based sports development organizations. Um, we know that this works. We know that engaging youth um, gives them both productive things to do, um, paths forward, teaches resilience and grit and the, the life skills they need to have good, safe lives and, and lives that support their communities and their families. Um, and I chair the Youth Mentoring Caucus in Congress, and it is Youth Mentoring Light, uh, Month. So I'm a huge, huge proponent of this. Very, very proud of the fact that in um, the American Rescue Plan, there was a lot of money for um, – community violence reduction, money that is flowing out through the states, through the city of Philadelphia, and trying to keep the um, emphasis on uh, evidence-based violence reduction programs. And uh, that's a lot of these community programs. Um, Clearly, they work. Um, We've seen successes in our region. We've seen successes. There's a big program going on right now in Chester, which had one of the worst gun violence um, rates in in the state, if not the country, um, but where you can have collaboration. It can't all be law enforcement. It shouldn't all be law enforcement, but beefing up the community services that are available to give people these alternatives, really, really important. And I think there is, this administration is in favor of that. Um, 
you know, the, the president's son, Bo, his beloved son, Bo, who passed away, was involved in this kind of work. So um, he's got a sweet spot in his heart for it, and I've talked about it with him when um, I've had the opportunity to meet with him. Um, so I do think we'll continue to see that kind of um, support, um, again, assuming that we can keep any modicum of control over the House and the Senate in the, the federal government. Well, Congresswoman Mary Gay Scanlon, I want to thank you for coming into the pastor's office this afternoon and speaking uh, with our Phillies' favor audience. Uh, I always say this to our political leaders when they come in the office. We're praying for you uh, because you're doing a good work. Uh, and if we could ever use this platform to help you, we're only a phone call away. So, ma'am, uh, we wish you all the best as you go forward to make a difference in the lives of the American people. Well, thank you, Reverend, and thank you for your work, especially for continuing to um, preach the fact that our democracy requires all of our efforts as well, because that is what's going to save us all. So thank you, and happy to come on whenever. Thank you so much. Take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Faber. Yeah.